there, and welcome to Conversations with the Reinhardts. I'm Ash. And I'm Reese. And we're really appreciative of you being here today. Reese and I are vegans who are focused on wellness, and we're so happy and excited to share our views and what we think about the world with you. Let's get into it. Howdy, duty. Hello, hello. How you doing? <laughs> We are back at it again today. We are talking about yoga. Or as we call it in this household, yogurt. Yeah, we do call it that. We call a lot of things a lot of... Uh, we make up words. We make up songs. We, we're all over the place. You know, it we happens. have a good time. Yeah, it does happen. I want to hear from you. Yeah? Yeah, I want you to give us... Give us some background. Um, how were you introduced? How did you find yoga? So when I was very young, I can't remember who told me about it, but my mom and I started going to this free health center and it had these classes. So it had belly dancing zumba nutritional like cooking it had laughter yoga and then it had just like yoga like it didn't differentiate between styles hang on did you say laughter yoga i sure did can you just what's laughter yoga so, i don't i've never heard of such a thing um i actually went to a class with a friend of mine at the time her name is milan um so we went, we thought we were going to get an exercise. We like, so we like stroll up, we're in our yoga clothes and we like get in there and we realize that it's like basically in a kindergarten classroom in this health is like this health center was pretty large. I just got to also say that it was, you know, donation based was how it was able to stay running and stay afloat by like donations and grants, um, which eventually did run out, uh, which is sad, but. Anyway, uh, you know, it offered free classes to the community. So anyway, laughter yoga. So you go in and they do these little things. You like mill around the room and different difficult topics are kind of brought up. Um, sometimes, I guess it depends. When do you oh, laugh? Constantly. The whole entire point of it is you laugh throughout the entire thing and it helps release some of the emotional tension that you kind of hold on to you. Um, for instance, you go around the room and you say something that's a bit on your mind. Um, in my head, the first thing that pops up is, um, and I can't remember if someone said this in the class or if this was a video I was watching about laughter yoga, so forgive me. Um, I'm not trying to lie here, but it does happen. People will say stuff like, um, my cancer came back and everyone, <laughs> right, <that> funny. <laughs> everyone laughs and it's like, you know, it's these morbid things that, you know, we deal with on our own. You know, I, I'm heartbroken. I'm alone. Ha 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 ha. And it's like, you do like this fake laugh. Um, until you actually start laughing. So you just, I mean, you can do it with me right now if you want. No, I, just, I do not ha, want. Ha, 
I feel like I'm watching a scene from the new Joker movie right now. Um, so needless to say, I only went to that one class. My mom and I did go to like a couple of cooking classes. That's how I learned how to make a frittata. A lot of good that does me now since I eat all of those eggs as a vegan, yeah. you know. Um, but anyway, so anyway, back to the yoga. I don't mean to totally sidetrack you. I was, I've just never heard of anything like laughter yoga. Yeah. To me, I thought it was going to be just a type of asana practice, just like any other practices that you'd go to or, you know, like vinyasa, hatha, uh, yin. Anyway, so... I had two different instructors on a regular basis. I can't remember the first one's name, but the other one that we had, her name was Kali Shakti. And she taught me how to do a shoulder stand. It was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so I went for several months and I was like really into it. It was the kind of exercise and workout that I really liked. It was the first time that I was actually physically active in my entire life at 16. And it was empowering. It was, um, you know, a, a source of self-confidence. I felt stronger, more flexible. I was amazed that I could do these, you know, quote unquote, athletic feats, uh, but I had no idea about any of the spirituality side of it. I remember family members of mine actually giving me and my mom, mostly my mom, a hard time saying that the roots were in religious practices. Uh, not that you asked, but this is part of the story, I, I guess. I heard similar things about yoga. So, you know, basically that it's anti-Christian. Um So that was hard for my mom, you know, we are Westerners living in America and we are most definitely in that same kind of culture of God-fearing Christians. Um, So I know that was hard for my mom. That kind of put a rift between her and this family member for a little bit. Uh, But, you know, Google existed back then, so the conversation quickly started and ended um <laughs> hey hey google <laughs> one of those moves right there well you know yeah. it was before siri uh oh. this was like you know over a decade ago at this point so we we had the google but it wasn't you, necessarily you the same kind of tool to yeah it wasn't the same tool that we have today you had to get up on i think we still had dial up at the time oh man i'm yeah. surprised anyone learned anything on dial up anyway so conversation starts and ends and I'm assuming your mom was okay with yoga after that? Cause she yeah. My mom really used to enjoy yoga. Um, that was one of the things that her and I used to do together. We would go and do yoga, to go do an, an asana practice maybe three times a week, um, if not more. And it was a hard practice, you know, especially for two people, because my mom was not active at the time either. You know, she'd go to the backyard and do some kind of gardening work or something like that. But for the most part, both of us were very sedentary. We sat on the couch a lot, watched TV a lot, didn't even, you know, stand to cook very much. We just kind of consumed media 
my mom crafted a lot but seated you know so this was like the first time that either of us in a very long time for me my whole life for her in just years were active and so I think that it was a very positive experience for both of us and then several months down the line of us going and us creating this um this practice we no longer could go to the center anymore it it got closed down for lack of funding this was the place that existed on donations Mm -hmm. this was in arcata california (laughs) and uh yeah it was sad i mean to say the least yoga was just seen as something we couldn't afford back then you know so why would we pay for you know my parents hadn't paid for a gym membership or anything like that or like exercising and you know i'm a i'm a among them and among other people when i say you know exercise things that make you feel good should not be expensive yeah. um you know and i understand that people have to make a living and it is expensive to be to become certified in teaching and you know, that instructors don't really get paid all that much, all things considered. Um, so don't come for me, for me saying that. It's just like the I, th- I think it's way overpriced. I still believe it's overpriced. Yeah. So moving on, um, I was like a full-fledged adult still doing yoga. So like I was a senior in high school still practicing, but I wasn't going very often and then it closed down and then it was like another two years before I had even picked up and practiced and I had found a podcast on Apple Podcasts of a verbal kind of guided practice and it was super difficult. And mind you, during this entire time, I had no idea about bundas um, or... (laughs) like engaging anything, um, rotating anything, making sure that you're in alignment so you don't injure yourself. They didn't cover that at the center? Well, you know, they'd come over and offer you some suggestions and, you know, they'd tell you to do certain things, but I don't think that I was ready for some of the things that they had said, you know? I think that, you know, you, you get to a point where you're willing to listen to things that people say when you're ready to hear them if that makes sense. Um, I was very stubborn as a teenager, very unwilling to listen. Most teenagers. Yeah. So, you know, I'll just go ahead and say the one correction I remember someone giving me when I was younger, the first time that someone actually gave me a body cue. So they came over and touched my body. Um, Like a physical cue. I, probably calling it the wrong thing they were I was in trick I was in triangle pose excuse me so I was in triangle pose and I had my arm up above my head and I was not balanced enough to be able to look over my opposite shoulder from the ground to look above the extended arm you know and so they were like came up to me and they said you need to have your arms straight out and then they put my arms straight out and then they walked away and I felt very attacked (laughs) you know I didn't have any arm strength I was just sitting there like I'm not good enough for yoga you know something stupid like that anyway so I practiced again when I was about 19 years old it was after my first year of college and I was just sitting there thinking to myself 
I haven't exercised in so many years. Uh, I, I don't feel good in my body. So I practiced and then it was too hard. So I stopped 20 minutes in sweating, just sweating profusely in the Louisiana heat. Um, just gasping for air, had no sense of prana, no sense of easy breath, nothing. Um, it was a workout. It was hard. Yeah. And then I met my good friend, Tiffany Joe. She is a yoga instructor. She kind of inspired another round of going to yoga. And this was when I was, I want to say 25. So she taught at this one. I guess I also went to a free yoga class in Louisiana as well. So I did that free yoga class some weeks, once a week. And the instructor there was really amazing. He did like chants. So he did like an Om Shanti chant at the end of practice, which literally brought me to tears. I had no idea what he was saying, but I was just like, this is beautiful. This felt so amazing. And then I'd go to Tiffany's class and I'd have this just like sense of serenity afterwards. And I'd fall asleep in Shavasana every single time. And of course, she would do her classes where it was heated room with, you know, just really heated. vigorous flow. It was heated. It wasn't not like Bikram. No, heated. it was not like Bikram. Not heated. like sauna hot. So it'd be at most maybe 90 degrees. Yeah. Still pretty warm. Oh, yeah. But when you live in Louisiana during the summer, it's 90 degrees. Is nothing. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> being outside basically without the humidity. So it wasn't that intense. Um, and then she'd do like essential oils and that was my first, um, experience with essential oils in a yoga class. And then I moved to Oregon and then I found Kim, the next yoga instructor I had. And Kim got me into a, um, what is it? A headstand, like an assisted headstand basically. Or um, a forearm stand. That's what that is, right? I'm really terrible with names. I believe y'all. it's a. I believe it's a headstand. It's with your arms at like on the sides, and then there, you know, your hand is a tripod headstand. No, that's this. Oh, see. Well, I guess I'm even worse with names. So I think it's with I think your people crown will of your understand head. though. Yeah, it's the crown of your head, and um, the forearms are on the ground. So I did that without props. She helped me get kicked up on the wall. And so mm. I've done that. She also helped me do a tripod with props. She's most, she's been very helpful or she was very helpful at the time. I guess I stopped seeing her when we moved from the area. Uh, but she had all these different props. So she had these chairs, she had bolsters, all these blocks, tons of blankets. So she'd get us in these really, you know, quote unquote, difficult poses. Um, but she'd prop us up so we felt really comfortable and safe. So it's pretty amazing. I have also... Able to uh, <laughs> do some more advanced type yeah. stuff, but with the support of props, basically. Things I'd never thought that I was going to be able to do. Yeah. How'd that feel? Uh, How, you, you talked about the first time you did yoga. It was pretty empowering. Yeah. How'd it feel when you were like doing stuff like you just said you thought you wouldn't be able to do? Man. 
felt good i like was in disbelief honestly it's like i didn't even believe that it was happening kim had taken photos of me Mm -hmm. she's like oh wait just hold it just hold it let me get a photo of you and she went over and snapped pictures she's like look at you and then she's like you are (laughs) dipping on the left side but (laughs) it's amazing i'm like yeah so um it felt good yeah and Taking Kim's class, I had become more embodied than I'd ever been, and I started to learn a little bit more about the philosophy behind yoga. And what do you mean when you say embodied? So embodied is basically you understand where your body is. You can think to yourself or not even think, really. Just move your body in a situation or a different place, and you know where the body is, and the body is lined up with where you think it is. For instance, if you are in mountain pose and you step your right foot back into warrior two it would already be in the alignment you know is comfortable or it would take minimal effort to adjust you know you know where you're you wouldn't fall over also you'd have enough like core strength body knowledge of yourself to be able just to kind of step back and be like here i am i'm in the pose i need to be in gotcha which is difficult it's a really hard thing to do especially if you're not you know used to being active in your body at all how Um, did you how do you think she helped you become more embodied was it through the use of props and doing stuff like that or what do you think caused that feeling of embodiment that's a great question this is kind of go this is kind of going into my own personal journey with my mental well-being here but before I had gone to her studio and found these classes. I was going through intense emotional changes in my life. I had just moved to Oregon from Louisiana. I had left my entire support group network behind. It was just a very difficult time for me. I was myself going through a big transition period I was just going through a lot and when I found yoga I felt like it really saved me as a person and so part of it is that I was it's like for the first time in my life I was actually willing to take the risk and try something new and just do it Nike you know what I mean just do it and Kim as a person she's very nurturing she also is kind of like a no BS You come to her and you say, you know, Kim, I just don't think I'm strong enough to do a chaturanga. And she goes, yeah, right. Let's put a strap on your arms and let's trade. Let's try to see you do this. Tell you what, I had a brand new, a brand new, excuse me, a brand new Manduka mat and it had not been worn in yet. And if anyone has ever had a Manduka mat, you know that they're extremely slippery when you first start practicing on them. They like gain grip as you go, basically, which is gross to think about it. But anyway, is it just like the dead skin cells rubbing off? I, you know, I don't know. They say, honestly, that you're supposed to dump like salt on the mat and let it sit for like a couple of like a day or something like that. But I didn't do that because I was like, oh, that sounds like something I don't want to do. I should have just done that, honestly. So I used to bring like a hand towel with me to practice to put my hands on because I would get so wetty. Um, But anyway, so she was like showing me with a strap on my arms, you know, 
around my biceps so that I wouldn't go any lower than halfway down so I could hover and that it wouldn't be like such a strain on my shoulders and arms and core. I could kind of just like see what it feels like to be in that hovering chaturanga state. Um, and my hands slid out in front of me and I face planted on my mat. <laughs> what did Kim say after that? She's like, you need to believe in yourself. <laughs> Fair enough. Kim, I told you I couldn't do it. Mm, let's see. Try. Mm, try harder. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, another thing is like she was trying to help me in Bacasana, crow, crow pose. And that's where you put your knees on your biceps and then you... Triceps. Triceps. Oh, thank you. Biceps are on top. Yeah. Anatomy. Uh, what's that? <laughs> It'd be an awkward crow pose trying to put your knee on your bicep. <laughs> I don't know how it'd work. Thank you. Anyway, so I can basically hover for two seconds, like not even a second really, just kind of flick up. And she was showing me different ways that I could use props to do that. And that was another time. I was not on the middle of my mat, I guess, in a way that I was on lengthwise. And I think that I should have been on widthwise because when I fell out, because I was very much like, I'm going to get this. And I fell out and my knee banged on the wooden flooring. And I had a bruise the side of, of a tennis ball for the next like two weeks nice. it was really hard to do anything on my knees for a little bit but you know sometimes you pay to play yeah and also i think it's like growth you know you fall you learn what it's like to fall you realize it's not as bad as you thought it was initially and then you're a little less scared of yeah. falling your knee hurts for a week and then you get over it i mean and it's not even like my knee hurt it just hurt to put pressure on where i had fallen because it was a bruise so gotcha yeah um so that's kind of my experience with doing yoga or doing asana practices now Oh, and at that time that I was seeing Kim, I was going to classes five days a week and then practicing at home two days a week, unless I couldn't make it to a class and then I would practice at home and I would do 45 minutes at home, no Shavasana. Uh, I was not into mindfulness back then. So that, and then now as I took about a year and a half off and then you and I kind of went back and forth with doing a little bit of something, something. And now I do a practice every day for at least 20 minutes. Um, or I do a Shavasana instead when you can't, of when you, yeah, when you're not filling up to a full Asana practice, you do Shavasana. Yeah. I listened to a podcast recently that said, if you if you have the intention of doing this really intense workout you know this this asana practice or whatever else and you get to doing that you know it's like six o'clock and you're like oh i haven't done it yet and i'm exhausted you know what should you do you know you should meditate you should be mindful you should you know still take time to be in your body because that's the most important part and that's kind of more into the yoga philosophy side of things that? that was yoga land which is a good one. I really enjoy it. Yeah, just curious. If someone's listening to this about yoga, they might be interested. That's true. 
I really recommend Yoga Land. They're kind of straightforward to the point, and they have a lot of different discussions about how to do things as a yoga instructor. The host's husband is a yoga instructor, and then the host herself is, I think she's just a yoga enthusiast. But she used to work for, I think, Yoga Journal. And so they both have a pretty rich history. And so they have a lot of a lot of talks on purpose and practicing and the philosophy of all of it and tying it into modern times and modern things. I think it's interesting. You may too. Anyway. Um, Getting into the philosophy, you said you weren't really exposed to the yoga philosophy side of things until Kim yes but even then it's she would mention certain things like for instance she was talking to one of the other students and they were talking about what dosha they were and I was like dosha come again (laughs) so I guess prior to that to being exposed to any of the philosophy what was it just a workout basically yeah it was just a no mindfulness no nothing just straight up do the poses right and then in shavasana my mind i like just they would say focus on your breath and i would just lay there and try not to fall asleep basically (laughs) you know i did my best to focus on my breath but i i didn't see it as like a meditation practice i would float in and out of these different thoughts and i would just be like "Eh, whatever i'm not gonna try to keep my brain from focusing on something else i was beginning again focusing on my breath as like a 16 17 year old but i didn't really know why i was doing it gotcha and i don't think that i was doing it in such a way that was helpful to my mental or emotional health if that makes sense gotcha and then kim mentions doshas yeah you say (laughs) whatever that is (laughs) Right. Another time she was talking about um, the left and right side of the body. Like the right side is the father and the left side is the mother. And like some other kind of she called it like woo shit, you know. That's how she referred to it. Yeah. I don't know if she said the the same word I did, but (laughs) anyway. And I thought it was like really interesting and I'd never really been exposed to this. You know, I knew about like, you know, I had that instructor, Callie Shakti, and she obviously, maybe not obviously, but I think that she had changed her name or that was her like yoga name because I that's going to ask if that the was the name of two. Name. I don't know. Um, but it's the name of two different goddesses in Hindi religion. Fair enough. Uh, I didn't know that. I had looked it up on the internet because I was curious. super curious. Yeah. I think that I had searched for her on the internet to see if she had like a website because I really enjoyed her. And then you just yeah. found stuff about gods. Yeah, basically. Or goddesses. So I guess in that right, that was the first time that I was exposed to any kind of spirituality or religious aspect of yoga. But anyway, the main thing here... um is that there was mentions of it. I was not interested in knowing about the spiritual side until recently. It's like I had not been listening the entire time. And I do believe that certain things call to you and certain things do not. And, you know, you will 
you will find things when you're ready for them. This past year, I had found meditation and mindfulness and really the past two years and a deeper sense of myself and what I want and what makes me feel good. I think they all kind of go hand in hand, you know, when you're in a, a good mind space, you're more able to, you know, so you kind of hear it when you're ready. Yeah, exactly. So what was your first impression when Kim talked about it when you were, I guess you could say not ready? I mean, what did you think? Did you think this lady's insane? No, I, I thought that I was silly for not knowing more about it. And thinking back about it, especially having this conversation with you right now, I'm thinking about all the different times that, you know, these things have called to me or been mentioned to me or had passed me by and I had paid them no mind, like the chanting, Mm -hmm. like the saying namaste and looking towards our third eye Mm -hmm. and like chakras. I had never really paid any mind to that. Did you think of it as woo the yoga aspects no Ayurveda and other things like that definitely we kind of talked about this not in a podcast or anything the other day but yeah I'm always just so curious what people what makes people define things as woo because it's a term that I think is pretty colloquial and right western society yeah and i think it's basically anything that doesn't fall into that judeo-christian kind of mindset of being spiritual so any kind of magic with a k any you know what's another word for this help me out here what's another word for what for woo yeah anything that falls under woo so well, I, I personally witchcraft stuff. Yeah, I personally don't like the term because I think it's ridiculous that people that eat the flesh of Christ will call something else woo because it's kind of <laughs> it's almost people use it almost derogatorily. Yeah, like oh I see well, that. that's not that's not real. That's woo, hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And I heard the other day I was listening to I watched just a brief clip of Joe Rogan and Duncan Trussell. Oh, I love Duncan Trussell. And he he was explaining what ceremonial magic is to Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan, I guess, was unaware or whatever. And he says that the the symbolism of the flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ and eating and drinking it, he said that is ceremonial magic. Not that a Catholic church would call it that, but that's essentially what ceremonial magic is. It's a way to kind of communicate with a divine entity or knowledge that's kind of also within yourself and just an interesting take on it it always blows my mind when people that believe anything that's not a quantifiable i guess call other things woo i think that our culture in general just doesn't really understand anything else yeah. And so all these people talking about being one with the universe or the universe having their back or being part of the universe, it just seems very woo to them. 
Woo yeah. as in out there, as in foreign, as in different. Yeah, no, I I agree with your definition. I think that's yeah. how people use it. I was just for sure. I think that that's, that's always like interesting to me. Calls to a different sort of way of life here, in that we are so ingrained. Um, you know, Westerners are very waspy in that kind of way. Like we are very <laughs> much the same here, and things that we don't understand we don't like things that we don't understand scare us yeah and i think you're right about the judeo-christian history of western society and whatnot i think it just plays a big role you know we what is it one nation under god indivisible yeah it's just, so it's in the history there for sure i just yeah. you were you didn't necessarily think, well, I guess you did. You said you kind of thought it was woo, but you were more kind of, I don't want to say ashamed, but embarrassed maybe that you, that you just weren't more knowledgeable on the subject. Yeah. I, you may not realize it from the way that I'm talking right now because I do not talk with very much confidence, I guess. Um, see that, I guess no definitiveness. I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of shameful for me to not be a part of a conversation or not really understand what people are talking about. I want to be knowledgeable and I want to know what people are saying. And it's either I don't care about that, so I don't care if I know, or it's, oh man, these people know so much about something I don't know. Why don't I know it? As if this piece of knowledge is just granted to someone instead of, you know, all the time and energy that they have taken to be able to learn about it. You know, um, that's another hard pill to swallow here is uh, you have to really work for what you know and work for what you have, which is actually one of what's well, part of the eight limbs of yoga, which goes into the more philosophical side of it which is still something that I'm kind of studying and trying to learn about myself. So what are your thoughts on it now as you're going into more into learning about it more, more about just the spirituality of yoga? Yeah. And the, the philosophy side of it beyond just doing some poses for a workout. So I will say this, I had never really believed in the universe and me being one. I, would you say you believe that now? Yeah. Would you say that's because of yoga or would you say it's kind of all of it? Or? I think that I've kind of opened up my mind to it. Um, and yoga was one way to open my mind to it. Meditation in general was a way to open my mind to it. And I think that yoga as a whole, it was asana practice that led to meditation for me really starting yeah. to buy into the shavasana thing and even still shavasana is they call it the most difficult pose because it's meditation it's not hard to lay there it's it's not hard to fall asleep it's it hard for some people though well <laughs> it's hard to sit there and make your mind be blank to focus yeah. on one's breath and to remember to come back to the breath and to not beat yourself up for not thinking about your breath you know yeah. And that's the whole entire thing. That's the whole point of meditation right there. And kind of opening myself up to what that actually was. That was what changed for me. And understanding that, you know, this person I'd become, because 
I'm a very, very anxious, sensitive, emotional person. And I can be very volatile sometimes and very quick to have a reaction. And so not to say that meditation has changed me or made me into a completely different person, but it's offered more space. Yeah, I was going to, how how has it affected you, I guess, outside of yoga or just really your that life philosophy? That was going to be sort of my question there is how do you, as you've kind of opened yourself to this experience mm-hmm. more and more, how do you find yourself carrying it through you or carrying it with you? I mean, throughout your daily life more and more is it just thinking about those things more just being more mindful in general or is it beyond that or is it really almost negligible unless you're making a conscious effort I think that it's you know I have my roots in psychology um, and that's kind of what has sparked a lot of this is just my interest in that and studying psychology in general you know yoga came after if I'm being really honest like the philosophy of it I'm an anxious person when I say things I often think about did I say that in a way to hurt someone else what is this person thinking about me it's like not a very compassionate way to live my life and so thinking about that and having these you know trying to restructure these cognitive thoughts that I'm having um thinking to myself you know, what is really happening? It's that same kind of thing of just thinking about in general, you know, what is the reality of my place in the universe? How am I treating my fellow man? And like looking at yourself, not just in a realistic light, but also in a compassionate light. And I think that's like the biggest thing that yoga brings to it is you have to give yourself compassion and being able to put yourself in these contorted poses or whatever else kind of puts you in that I'm a badass kind of Mm -hmm. situation allows you to kind of see yourself as human and not just this weird alien with weird appendages that talks strange to strangers you know it makes you more human you know and I think that it allows me to see myself as an individual person and not just you know, someone who continuously makes mistakes, you know, I, I give the same kind of care and regard to people, well, to myself that I do people more so now than I ever have, and that I'm very, very forgiving of other people, very, very willing to hear them out and be empathetic and sympathetic towards them and help them and understand, relate to them. But before the past couple of years, I was totally unable to do that for myself. Um, so what has changed? Yoga has made me compassionate towards myself. Fair enough. Okay, y'all know, because I've talked about it until I was blue in the face, how much I really enjoy yoga. Of course, I am still learning, so... You know, grain of salt, everything I've said, I'm sure at some point I'll talk about this with way more confidence. So, you know, stay tuned or don't, you know, your choice. But I think that it's high time that I start asking Reese a couple of questions. Sure. He looks at his watch. He's like, about time. No, <laughs> I j- I'm just keeping an eye on the time. I'm just teasing. 
Um, so I wanted to ask you the same kind of question. How did you get started? What was your first kind of uh, So full disclosure, I think the first time yoga ever came up in conversation in my life was negative was had a negative connotation i was raised pretty religiously like i mentioned when you were talking about it similar conversations of that's you know worship it's worshiping a false god or the poses represent different false gods and it's allowing a way for uh the enemy or the devil or whatever you want to call it to it's giving him an open door into your life, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, an early conversation I remember specifically was in regards to um, a woman in the church that my family went to left her husband later in life. And it was brought up in the context, oh, she started doing yoga and all this stuff. And then... That's so funny. So it was almost as if yoga or the thoughts within yoga or the philosophy was to blame which is funny looking back because i heard that i heard that really young you know so how old do you think you were um i was probably around 14 or something got it okay i was going to youth group and playing the drums and whatnot because i knew the they had three kids right this family that split up and i knew one of the daughters so I must have been at least 14 because um, we used to go to youth group together. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, hearing that at a young age, as a kid, you don't really question that stuff. You just kind of take what you're given a lot of the times. At least I did as a kid because I was raised super religiously. So I think also in our culture, we as children are... You're not supposed to question older, wiser yeah. people. We're supposed to listen to our parents and the people older than us. Yeah. We're supposed to mind them. I've always hated that about... Out of sight, out of mind, or silent. And well, I've always, I've always hated the idea of old age equals wisdom because it does not. <laughs> you can be old and stupid just like you're young and stupid, and I don't care how old you are. And I don't mean... I, I love learning from people that are older than me. I think what's great about older people is they have lived a life young people have the a lot of potential uh potential mm-hmm. i want to say potentiality maybe within their life but they haven't actually done any of the things that they're dreaming of or that they plan to do an old person right. has the hard evidence of a life lived and it's in the past and it's already happened and you can't take that away because it's already happened um so i don't mean it in any sort of disrespectful way but it does not automatically make you the wisest person in the room on every subject. Right. That's all I mean to say. Um, you can be old and maybe you miss something in that life that you've lived. Anyway, um, I didn't really question it as a kid. And now looking back, it's funny to think about, oh, well, maybe she just got exposed to a culture that wasn't, you know. I don't think yoga was to blame, first of all. I don't think it really had that much to do with it. Um if I may, um, there are people who exist who have done yoga who have 
gotten the self-confidence or gotten the that's kind of what i was getting at i was like maybe she was just exposed to a different thought pattern outside of this one church that she'd been going to forever Mm -hmm. and she thought i don't have to live like this if i don't want right looking back that's what i think when i was a kid i thought man that yoga is the devil it's evil it'll change you it'll make you not love your family I've described my hometown to people and I've had them ask me if I was raised in the town from Footloose. Um, he was. And it also <laughs> makes, it also kind of makes me think of Waterboy. Mama said, that's the devil. Not, not that my mom was telling me everything was the devil, but a lot of things were the devil. Yeah. Um, His parents are great, by the way. We love yeah, them. I have a great relationship with my family. Yeah. So nothing so. against them. No, nothing yeah. against them or anyone else or churches in general or yeah, anything. Yeah. Just... This is my experience, yeah, which exactly. is what you asked about. Yeah. So <laughs> it was brought up in a negative context. Yeah. And then after that, I met a girl that was into yoga and then I heard about it from her. And I was one of those people that was, um, oh, yoga is not for me. I'm not flexible. She said, well, that's a perfect reason to do yoga. I did not start doing yoga. <laughs> Um, basically in one year out the other, mm-hmm. um, I was pretty young at the time. Yeah. So flash f- forward to me being in the military in Hawaii of all places to be in an infantry unit. Um, and one of the guys that was in my platoon was, I don't think he was, re- he wasn't really super into yoga, mm-hmm. but for people who know who Dylan Werner is. He's a male yogi, I guess. He um, basically does all of the arm in- balance yeah, and inversions, versions. and he does all the cool poses. And I think and that's what this guy wanted. He to do. also does these really, really, really cool transitions. Yeah, y'all. Basically, he's on Instagram. So I don't think the person that introduced me in- into it was there for yoga per se Mm -hmm. more as they saw people on instagram doing cool yoga things that was all the rage especially in hawaii i don't know how many pictures there must be on people's instagrams of them on a beach doing a yoga pose um and we'd go on training ops and stuff and that's what this guy would do he'd try and do an arm balance pose on a rock in the desert or whatever and get a picture of it um, Sounds like a good way to hurt yourself if you're not used to doing arm balances. I but. don't think he ever did hurt himself. Um, I think he just kind of muscled his way through it. But yeah. he was into it. He mentioned it. There was a hot yoga place mm-hmm. in Kailua, which is close to where. Was it a Bikram? It was. It was. Okay. It was not a heated room. It was Bikram. It was over a hundred degrees. I'm not sure how hot it was, but a hundred and five. I think someone will correct us. Yeah, I don't know. Someone can can feel free to because i don't know how hot it was i know it was hot and i believe it was over a hundred um yeah and so we went there and we got our asses kicked (laughs) we went there and we talked to a lady and she kind of said well if you want to do it for like a workout you can do this or that i can't even remember all the options there was a guy there that did acro yoga but not at that studio he did it at the beach um which was one of the things that we wanted to try but we never did um Hmm. 
anyway, we end up showing up for class one day yeah, on a Saturday or a Sunday on a weekend. And we show up and this older lady was there. It was a pretty full class because it was a weekend class. So I guess it's just people have availability. The teacher was known. And this older lady in the class said, oh, is this your first time? She said, and she kind of laughed at us. We said, yeah. And she kind of was like, oh, you're in for a treat. And yeah, she was not wrong. It kicked our asses. Um, <laughs> it was kind of welcome, though. I don't know. We all, we kind of thought, you know, we were in the infantry, so. They went out and would just hit it hard at the gym on a daily basis. They'd all run and lift weights. We kind of welcomed the challenge, I guess you could say. And also, um, we were kind of looking for a way to balance all that other stuff out. Yeah. So we go there, we get our asses kicked by some small, slender white lady, (laughs) you know, that probably weighed 100 pounds or something. And she's just torturing us is what it felt like. But I do distinctly remember afterwards, I felt amazing. Yeah. Because afterwards, you walk outside. Hawaii is pretty warm most of the time. It's but pretty it hot and humid. But it was cooler than But yeah, you walk outside, <laughs> and it's it's like a cool breeze hits you in the face. We went, we went to Whole Foods, and we got smoothies. I just felt very at peace with the world, which was not a common feeling at that point in my life. So it was nice. Yeah. I felt like I was glowing. Um we went a few times. We kind of already touched on this. Yoga's expensive. Mm-hmm. So we didn't go all the time. We were off island a lot for training and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but we did go a few times. After I left there, I basically dropped it. Because uh, I just did. I wasn't super, again, I wasn't super into yoga. I'm still yeah. not super duper into yoga by any stretch of the imagination. Um so left there and just kind of dropped it and then went about my life um, and then met you and then we kind of started doing it off and on, not really consistent, um, learned about mindfulness and got exposed to that kind of philosophy, mm-hmm. meditation, practice mindfulness, practice some other meditation stuff, still I still don't do, I wouldn't call it yoga. I do yoga poses after I run to stretch, but I would not call it yoga because I'm not communing with the universe or super focused on my breathing. Well, yoga, I don't know. It just, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but prana and asana are two different limbs and, you know, they're meant to be done together, I guess, but they don't necessarily have to be. Yeah, and I don't. Only in like Ashtanga that you actually are doing breath work. So well, I'm also just I don't do it for the philosophy side of it or any right. reason other than to stretch my legs because I run every day, so I need mm-hmm. to stretch. Otherwise, I'll be in pain. I do I do like it, and I wish I was more consistent. But I'm just focused. On, I'm super hyper focused on running, so I don't have it in me. Yeah. To be hyper focused on two things at once. I don't know why it's call it a character flaw i guess if you want oh whatever i want to offer you something and that is if you believe that it's yoga it is it's like what if i don't believe it's yoga then it's not okay well there you have it i guess it's uh you know any iteration of the pose is the pose yeah i uh after we met though i read mark stevens teaching yoga which i'm currently reading yeah not because oh whoops not because I want to be 
a yoga teacher or anything. I just wanted to read it to learn more about it. And it is very in-depth and it was, Mm -hmm. I learned a lot more about it and I got more into kind of the history and the philosophy or the thought behind it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely by no means am I a yogi or even I would say a consistent yoga practicer. Um, I do like it though. I appreciate a lot of the philosophy and thought behind it. Um, I kind of identify with that stuff. What do you mean by that? That stuff? Kind of like we were talking about the, I don't think I'm one with the universe. Um, but with mindfulness and whatnot, um, I really do. I think there's a whole world and people only see such a small part of it when they look at things. And I buy into the thought of when I'm eating bread, it's not just bread. That bread had to go through a thousand steps to become bread. And it, the same sun that hits me when I'm out on a run is what raised up that wheat somewhere else in the world. And then it had to go, I had to get ground up and go to a factory or whatever. Yeah. And probably a thousand hands had to touch it um, and make it. And all those hands have people attached to them with their own life. And they're all, and I really, I buy into that interconnectedness, I guess, is what you, I, that's what I mean when I say that stuff. I mean, interconnectedness. We call that oneness. Yeah, sure. Not um, really. There's a Sanskrit name for it, but I just don't know what that is. Um, and the namaste, I, I'll probably say it. It's, uh, what is it? I, I, s- the light within me sees the light within you or something like that. Yeah. Roughly. That the, div- I, you know, the divine in me yeah. sees the divine in you. It's yeah. like sees, recognizes, or, um, I, th- yeah, I think it's recognizes. Yeah. I buy into all that. Cause I just do. That's for me. It's what I buy into. It's, yeah. and it's, um, at a fundamental level, it's the only thing, um, if you want to call it religious or philosophy or just moral code or thought pattern, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to give it, it's the only thing I've ever read that has ever rang with any bit of truth to my ears. Um, and I say that because I like science and I like, um, things having to do with science and I was raised super religious and then I walked away from religion very abruptly and aggressively Mm. (laughs) um and then I kind of gave up I would fall into these kind of nihilistic nihilistic I don't know really exactly how to say that word I think it's nihilistic um thanks so I'd kind of fall into that I'd fallen into that thought pattern and then I kind of became a victim of that thought pattern of well nothing matters there's nothing were everyone's going to die everyone I know or love will either watch me die or I'll watch them die my animals will die my friends will die my family will die everything will disappear mm-hmm. and eventually I'll disappear and then I'll be forgotten about because the world will keep spinning and I kind of I fell victim of that nothing matters nothing matters there's nothing nothing matters um and i say i fell victim because that can be very heavy and it can it led at least for me to kind of 
depressive type thinking of just nothing matters. Yeah. What I do doesn't matter, you know. Like I said, I'm I'm into science. I'm a biology major. Um, I just find it really interesting. But the more you learn, the more you realize, oh man, I'm just a bunch of neurons firing. I'm not even me as I think of me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not you. You're just a neuron. You're just a whole bunch of neurons firing. Yeah. And you're made up of the same stuff as the grass, basically. <laughs> you're made up of like right. four different things that a lot of things are made up of. Right. Um, that make up our whole universe, though. Yeah. There's, I forget how many elements like there are in total. Um, well, but, but most things are made up of what, like four, there's like the big four of like nitrogen, carbon, oxygen, hydrogen. Yeah. Um, and they make up a lot, mm-hmm. um, in different combinations and whatnot, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, the more I l- learned, the more I, th- the more I fell into that nothing matters. Cause I'm not even me. I'm not even, I'm not even a special individual. Well, it just, I think clashes with your old worldview of you being the special son of God, basically. Well, yeah, because in Christianity, everyone's special and God has a plan for everyone and knows everything and it all matters. Yeah. I walked away from that because when you, I like I've been to Africa and I was in the military and I've seen people die for no reason and you can't tell me it was part of a plan, you know? So I walked away from all that. Um, And people are totally free to believe whatever they they believe again this is just my experience Mm -hmm. um and that's that's kind of why i hit nothing matters is because i walked away from this thing where everything mattered because it was all part of some grand scheme right and i walked away from that so then obviously nothing mattered because it wasn't part of a grand scheme um and kind of like i was saying so i got more and more into this this whole uh nihilism and Mm -hmm. And then the more you learn, the more you realize, oh, we're all made up of the same stuff. And then it started to click in kind of the, the mindfulness, kind of the Eastern schools of thought, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, when I read that stuff, it really, that clicked in my head along with the, oh, I'm not really a person. I'm not what I think I am. I'm made up of neurons and cells that are made up of atoms that are even smaller. Um and then realizing most of the things around me are made up of that same stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it all just started to fall. In. It was like dominoes or like a wave crashing or something, yeah. you know, when a wave peaks and you see it start to curl over and then you watch it crash and it just, it all just tumbles down and implodes and it's got the force of buildings behind it. Right. And that's kind of what happened to me as I started to learn about that stuff. As it clicked, I started to realize, oh, everyone really is kind of interconnected and everyone's made up of the same stuff and everything in the world had to happen the way it's happened to lead us to this exact moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And you start to, I started to think outside of myself and kind of outside of nothing matters and came to think kind of everything matters. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I guess that's what I mean when I say that stuff. That was a really long-winded answer, but it was a really long journey to get to where I believe. Right. To get to my beliefs today, it took a really long journey to get there. So you can't sum it up in like one sentence because I I went through a lot of stuff, you know? So. Yeah. 
I agree with you. I definitely think that, you know, knowing that we are from the universe, the universe has the same stuff we have in it. It's, you know, you can, you can take it into like Buddhism, for instance, you know. Yeah. There is a flower in my lawn. Maybe it's a dandelion, a weed, you know. That dandelion and I have the same stuff. We are yeah. part of the same. We are the same. And it's like when people die, you know, we still hold memories of them. And having memories of them has their memories in it somehow. Uh, you know, and they live on with us. And it's like every single ancestor that we've ever had is inside of us just as we are inside of all of them. And... You know, even in science, you know, matter cannot be created nor destroyed. It's one of the main principles. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean to attribute. I say that stuff and it kind of sounds like I'm attributing my thoughts to yoga. And that's not how I mean it. No, you're I just talking about philosophy in general. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of common threads throughout. Yes. And you can read things that are similar um, with in Buddhism or in like a, a yoga text or even in, I read the the Damien Eccles, the high magic book just out of curiosity. Yeah. And there's common threads in there with all that stuff. Um, and I mean, yoga and Hinduism also have a lot of. Yeah. So it, themes. I just, I just want to clarify though, that I'm not by any means attributing my philosophy or my beliefs to yoga. Cause I'm definitely not giving an accurate representation of all the yoga philosophy. But I mean, the common threads kind of rang true to me. And then I saw those common threads in yoga and I kind of could identify with them. Yeah. Um, so That's I thought it was important yeah. to clarify that, though. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yoga philosophy, in my mind, is basically, you know, you can kind of see it. You can relate the same kind of things, though, in that kind of sense to Christianity as well. And I know there's a lot of people who teach a quote-unquote Christian-style yoga. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and... You know, it's their choice and whatever makes you happy and fulfilled. You know, yoga is a place for everyone and you do your thing, boo thing. Yeah. Um, there's, there's common threads, too, in that Judeo-Christian thing. Mm -hmm. There's very similar things and similar morals of what's right to do and what's not right to do. Yeah. Um, I think that's what makes it more of a spiritual kind of practice rather than religious because you can be religious, believe in some God or something higher than you and be devoted to that or them or what have you. And you can still not be spiritual, not be moral for a reason like that, not necessarily believe in the text, just believe in the entity. Um, or you can be non-religious and spiritual and believe in all these different things being connected. Yeah. Like, I think that it's safe to say that you feel the same way as I do. Um, although I'm not going to assume because I don't think you and I have really had a discussion about it. I have never been religious nor have I ever been spiritual until the past year or two. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't even... I don't even think of myself as... Well, I'm certainly not religious, and I don't think of myself as spiritual, even though I hold those beliefs. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because it goes back to 
Well, scientifically speaking, if you look at the smallest particle like atoms, that's what you're made up of if you really examine yeah. it from that point of view. So I almost, for me, it's almost just like a, it maybe sounds illogical, but I want to say it's kind of just the logical point of view for me to have. Um, and I think the biggest thing I identify with is that people's reality mm -hmm. that they're experiencing is made up of their perception of it. And yeah. I, I don't mean that to say, oh, well, everyone has a different reality. In my world, 9-11 never happened or anything like that. Yeah. What I mean is when I look at a table, I see it only the way that earth only in a way that I can see it through my right. eyes with through my preconceived notions or perceptions that I've experiences. had. Yeah. From yeah. growing up and living my life. Right. Um, and I don't know. I, th I find that kind of empowering. Yeah. Um, it's your journey and your lens, you know, whatever's happened to you in yeah. your life really does shape the way that you view events places yeah. things people yeah so two people could be sitting outside on a sunny day and one person could be so happy for the warmth and the sun on their skin and the other person could just be complaining and moaning about it you know what i'm saying Basically and it's the same sun you. yeah same yeah. sun same i'm getting a sunburn place. you're getting a tan um <laughs> two totally se separate experiences yeah um and that i kind of go back to that which again it might sound illogical or it might sound spiritual um, but for me, it almost, it, it almost isn't. It's just, well, that's just kind of how it is. Everyone right. is having their own experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's kind of how I connect it. I like it. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions in addition to like what we've talked about. All right. If let's you're see down. <laughs> uh, so what's your favorite pose? Uh, my favorite yoga pose. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with crow. When we met, I couldn't do it. Now I can do it pretty well. I think pretty well. You know, I'd that's like obviously relative. Credit for that. <coughs> it's one of the, it's probably the only <laughs> arm balance <laughs> yoga pose or whatever that I've, I really went and tried to learn how to do it. You've done um, properly or whatever. Forehand stand too. Like I was talking about. The yeah, but of the I mean, a lot of kids do that <laughs> yeah but for me i can't kick up you can do it basically unsupported by the wall for a little bit oh yeah that's fair to say but crow is def crow is one that i kind of delved into really with like the alignment and kind of yeah. proper positioning and all of that stuff and like i said i wasn't able to do it really really at all mm -hmm. maybe for a split second i could hold it and now i can hold it for i don't know how long but long enough relatively yeah relatively speaking a fair amount of time by the way i'm not to not to credit for his crow pose he can also do side crow that's like two knees on one arm yeah just saying he's pretty impressive i still have that cool poses thing in me where i'm like ooh, arm balance <laughs> you know yeah um We've but also it's, some... it's a fun pose yeah. i think We've done a couple of acro poses together too. Yeah, that was scary. What's your favorite pose? Oh, um, I'm boring. I like to do a tree variation. I 
it just makes me feel badass, man. I like to do half lotus. Um, that's basically where you stand in tree, but instead of having your leg on your thigh or calf, you have it up in your hip crease. And then you reach around and grab your foot or toe with the opposite hand. So if I am using my left foot up into my right hip crease, I will use my left hand to reach around the back of my body and grab my foot. Um, I feel like that is the pose that I do kind of the quote unquote the best. That was like the first pose I really cared about getting right and doing something about. So it's my favorite. Yeah. What's your least favorite? My least favorite. What is it called? Dadasana? Dandasana? Uh, I don't know any of the like so Sanskrit s- names. Like staff pose. Uh, basically, you sit down and you're at a 90 degree angle. Or seated gotcha. forward bend. Not a fan. I have a very inflexible lower back and uh, hamstrings. You had mentioned earlier about how you didn't think yoga was for you because you're not very flexible. Oh, yeah. That's who it's built for. That's like... Well, now that's how I feel at least. It's not though. It's like the more flexible you are in yoga, the harder you have to work in a pose is like a pose to get its benefit. Because that's the whole entire thing about yoga is, you know, each pose has its own benefit. Oh yeah. It's not about becoming flexible. No, it's, it's not. about, you know, nurturing your body. I just mean that that is not a good excuse to not do it. Oh, I'm inflexible. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. That has nothing to do oh, with okay, it. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm mad not flexible. Like, every once in a while, if I stretch for a really long time, I can do a standing forward bend and I can touch my toes or the ground barely. But um, seated has always been a very big hurdle for me. It is almost painful. But um, after practicing the pose for a very long time, it's becoming a little bit more comfortable. Um, but you could just look at it like, well, I don't have to work very hard. I don't know. I don't, you know what I mean? It's uncomfortable. So I also, um, man. On that post question. Also, I don't like shoulder stand. Just going to put that out there. It's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm going to break my neck every single time I do it. (laughs) (laughs) On a related note, I was going to ask you what's your both your most positive and your most negative experience related to yoga um man positive experience is just kind of like showing myself like yeah girl you got this you can do it hard work does pay off perseverance does pay off like you can get relaxed you can relax not one singular yeah really just i think okay fine you can relax. That has been a realization and a positive thing that I have found from yoga and taken from yoga. Relaxation. Um, the negative, the price it costs to take a class in public because I feel that a group class is just more beneficial. Um, one, because I feel the need to work harder in a class. Not necessarily harder in that I'm hurting myself, but in that I am less likely to slack off. Paying money for it, you know. Yeah. You gotta take it serious. That and you're in a room full of other people, and I know... Taking it serious. Yeah, yeah. Kind of pushes you. It's always a really messed up situation when you're in a class and there's someone who's verbally talking to the teacher. It, like, pulls you out of it, you know, and... 
I really like having other people there because I have an idea of different variations I can do. I feel the need to not let these people down also. Not like, you know, I'm letting them down or anything like that. And I don't feel good about myself if I can continue on and someone else can't. Or bad if I need to take child's pose or stay in down dog for a little extra time. But it does make me feel motivated. It's like kind of a little competitive, like, if they can do it, I can do it, you know, or... I need to do this because everyone else is doing it, you know, and in my own variations or looking at other people's variations and seeing like, what can I do to make this easier on myself? But then also having a teacher there, please don't come for me, by the way, for saying I compare myself to other people in class. <laughs> that's just, I know it's not the point. It's just, nah. Anyway, it's great to have a teacher in class because they will say, you know, verbal cues to either you or other people in the room. And, you know, even if it's not about you, it's nice to just have a little reminder like, ooh, am I pulling my gut up into my ribs right now? What's up? Am I engaging my core? Is my knee really over my ankle? Anyway. Gotcha. How about you? Most positive yoga experience? Yeah. Uh, similar to what you said, just feeling, general feeling of accomplishment. Like I said, I didn't used to be able to really do crow's, crow pose at all. Now I can do it for a fair amount of time and yeah. feel good about it and feel aligned and whatnot. And um, I think that just comes from anything, any sort of mastery and any sort of skill. You get that similar feeling and that's overall that. And then I would also say the philosophy side of it. Again, not to attribute all of the stuff we said earlier to yoga, but those similar uh, philosophical ideas, I guess, or those similar threads to other things that I was exposed to that really helped me pull myself out of a really dark place. Yeah. I would say that is, that's probably actually the most positive experience because dark places aren't fun to be. Um, yeah. Most negative experience. That's kind of a tough one. I just did a negative thing about yoga. About yeah, I'm not a huge, like I said, I'm by no means a huge yoga person. Um, but I would say the most negative experience comes from that comparison or seeing someone on Instagram and thinking, oh, I want to oh, do that and yeah. not being able to do it. And then maybe you feel bad about yourself or something, which I've been victim to that too. Yeah, yeah. Which I haven't been a huge victim of that. Um, but I'm sure it's crossed my mind and I'm sure it's affected me mm -hmm. in some way, especially in the social media age. Well, um, yeah, it's like every single yogi who's on Instagram, yeah, especially all, all of the, the blonde white women who practice yoga you know, they're 85 pounds and they can yeah. lift themselves on one finger, basically. It's like, no wonder you're 85 pounds. Well, and you, you'd never see all the failures. Yeah. It takes five seconds to take a photo and post it on Instagram. You don't get to see the 500 hours that went into getting that photo. Yeah. And it just, you really sell yourself short. That being said, I don't have an Instagram anymore. And like I said, this isn't a common thing, yeah. but I'm, it's happened. It happens to everyone, I think. I it's, will say... If you are a person out there and want to follow someone who does all these cool poses, who has a great body, but also who talks about how much work that they've put in to get there, I would follow Kino. 
Kino Yoga. She always talks about how she had so many self-doubts and couldn't touch her toes when she started, but she's been practicing yoga for over 10 years and she is super flexible. She can do handstands. She's very confident in her body. One might even say confident, um, happy, joyful. Um, So, I don't know. Oh, also... When I went to yoga classes in Hawaii, mm-hmm. me and my friend, we'd be the only two males in them a lot of the yeah. time, which is, that's just an awkward situation to be in. So I think it's like people who are males and then a per, like any people of color. Um, I, I think, think like I've heard even people who traditionally like their culture is involving yoga do not feel comfortable going to a western yoga class yeah i've heard that and honestly that that applies obviously to anyone in any situation where you're the only type where you're the only the only yeah yeah it's never fun yeah so that i would also say um that being said i liked the classes i went to but yeah it's definitely a hurdle to get over that is something I wanted to talk about also was the inclusivity of yoga because it's like touted as this very inclusive thing, but it's just not super inclusive. And I guess that kind of sums it up is, you know, especially Western yoga, it's for skinny white women. Well, basically. and I don't even, I wouldn't even just say that. That's why I don't like the price thing. Skinny, rich white women. It's for there rich you people. Go. That's really it's, it. It's Asterisk. for rich people yeah. is 100% how I feel. And you can always do a home practice. I do it. I think it's a great way to get into it. If you're at all self-conscious or worried, just throw on a YouTube video or find a website. Or if you really want to, you can pay for one of those subscription websites. Mm -hmm. There's a million and one different ways that you could make yourself a little at home practice. And I would encourage you, if you are going to do an at home practice, to... Practice for a little bit and then film yourself doing a couple of things so you can see what your alignment looks like because that's really what you'd be missing going to a class in person. Yeah. Yeah. Really, if that's what's holding you back is you don't want to pay for it, just try it out, you know? Yeah, you don't want to pay for it. You're self-conscious. You don't have the time to drive out to a class. There's no yoga studio. Basically, any reason. Yeah. It's an hour, sometimes longer for a class, too. It's a big-time commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been our conversation about yoga. Yeah. Um, And philosophy and spirituality in general. Yeah, which I think is a huge part of yoga that people Mm -hmm. sometimes miss, maybe. Overlook or ignore or maybe Maybe, it's just not calling to you. And if that's not in your practice, so be it. Yep. Uh, thanks so much for listening though hopefully this has been helpful or educational or insightful in some way or at the very least i hope that you feel a little less alone if you are trying something new or if you feel unsure of yourself or if you feel stuck because we've been there 100 (laughs) percent so Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We really appreciate your time. If you like this episode, please feel free to subscribe or leave a review. If you want to interact with us, our website is thereinhearts.com. 
and our Instagram is at the Reinhardt's blog. We're looking forward to hearing from you.